Amen. Please turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. We'll be in 2 Timothy, chapter 2 this morning. Uh, through the years, there have uh, been a lot of things that I have invented in my mind, right? I, really amazing, remarkable things. I never went through the process of actually getting it patented or, you know, or bringing it to production, but in my mind, I invented a lot of really cool things. One of my greatest uh, mental inventions was uh, this contraption that would, it would cut your hair. And it would always cut your hair exactly the same length. And there would never be any hair flying around at all because the blades would be attached to a vacuum, right? So you'd be vacuuming the hair up while you were cutting your hair. I thought, what a great idea. Always the same haircut. You know, you, you set it as you want it and, and then you can repeat it every single time and there's no mess, there's no fuss, whatever. So one day I was watching TV and I was just stunned and so disappointed to learn that someone had stolen my idea of the vacuum haircutting machine. It's called a Floby. All right, some of you have probably heard of it. Some of you maybe own a Floby machine, which is a haircutting vacuum. Like, how, how genius was that? I'm so disappointed I didn't bring it to production. Now, uh, you can even get on YouTube right now, and you can still see videos of YouTube, um, at, you know, on YouTube of the Floby working. I don't know, you might be able to get on eBay and buy your own, <laughs> your own version of this. But I have just one observation, which is there's no woman who would ever allow her hair to be cut by a vacuum, right? This is just so completely unrealistic. And the fact is, every Floby haircut turns out like this, <laughs> right? Now, in my research going back and uh, to try and find this invention for the sake of illustration, I actually stumbled across a few very useful inventions. Now, this is a, a can of Pringles, right? And someone invented a, a piece of plastic that you could slide down beside the chips. And as you're eating the chips, you just pull this thing upward, right? So you don't have to reach down into the canister or tilt the canister and all the crumbs come out. You just slowly inch the chips up. I'm like, that's genius. Isn't that awesome? It's a great idea. I came across another one too. This little invention, this rolls the toothpaste from the bottom, right? So what you're looking at here is the end to all marital strife, right? Just that simple little thing. And even if you're in premarital counseling right now, okay, Cole, this applies to you. Buy two, right? Because if you have two, then you will never have friction in your marriage, right? Each person gets their own. That's how it works. Actually, a lot of the inventions uh, that, I, that I've come across that are very useful, which is, I just think it's an interesting thing, are often really simple. Right? They're just really, really simple things. Their value is uh, found in how useful they are for people in their common, ordinary days, right? Uh, stick it notes, sticky notes. Uh, sticky notes have made billions of dollars for 3M corporation. And I don't know if you're aware, all the original sticky notes were all a light yellow paper. Do you remember that? Do you know why they were light yellow? Anybody? Okay. This is really interesting to me because that's the only color of scrap paper that was laying around the lab in 3M, right? So one of the scientists found the scrap paper that was available and a glue product that they had invented and he made sticky notes. I'm like, oh my gosh, how genius is that? And you're saying to yourself, so where's all this going? Right? There's a point. Okay. Here's my point. I want to talk this morning about usefulness. I want to talk about usefulness. In this chapter that we're, this paragraph that we're going to study this morning, Paul is going to use just simple, common, ordinary, physical objects to make a spiritual point about us being useful for our Heavenly Father who is our Master. So I want to talk about usefulness. So let's turn, if you're not there already, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's begin reading 
in verse 20. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Now, Timothy, in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The large house, in Paul's analogy, is the church. It says, in the church, Timothy, there are some vessels, some people who are using their lives for honorable things and some within the church who are using their lives for dishonorable things. It's a really simple analogy for them to pick up on because he says, this is like uh, vessels that are made of wood or earthenware. They're stone or they're clay or, or they're wood. And, you know, they're just common, ordinary things. You see them around the house and you'd feed the, the animals with it or you'd take out the trash with it. If it got dirty or broken, that's okay. Clean it or discard it. Don't worry about it. But then there are also vessels in the home in the first century that are set apart. They're sanctified. And they're for special events or special times or special people. When I was growing up, that was the case. Got a couple of visuals for you. You know, we had, we had common, ordinary, dishonorable vessels in our house, right? Dustpans and trash cans. And if they got dirty, we just clean them out. If they broke, we'd throw them away. We would discard them. They really weren't that important to us. But we also had vessels for honorable use, right? This is uh, one of my mom's china plates. She allowed me uh, on you know, pain of death, not to damage this, to borrow one for an illustration this morning. When I was a kid, I just really didn't get it, right? There's gold around the rim. And I, I would tell my mom, you know, every time she'd bring these out, I'm like, why, mom, why do we have these? Why do you need two sets of dishes? How crazy is that? And why don't we just scrape the gold off of the edges and sell the gold? Let's get some value out of this, right? I wasn't allowed to touch the, the china, right? Except on those special occasions, Thanksgiving, Easter, Christmas, they would be brought out, special events. They, these dishes, I don't even know, if you, can you call China dishes? I'm kind of ignorant on that. <laughs> special place for them to be stored. Didn't put them through the dishwasher. Washed them by hand. Right? Because they're sanctified, they're holy. They're set apart, they're distinct, they're for an honorable use. And Paul is saying, Timothy, you were made for an honorable use. You were made to be useful to the master. Now, what's interesting is that is a very common theme for Paul. He wrote to Titus, Our great God and Savior Christ Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Why did Jesus redeem you? To rescue you out of uselessness, lawless deeds. And to make you useful, zealous, eager for good deeds, to be useful to the master. So how do you do that? How do you become a person who is useful to the master? I'm going to give you three ideas this morning, beginning in chapter 2 and verse 21. Read with me again. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Paul says first, you want to be useful? Cleanse yourself. It's the word uh, catharsis. The Greek word catharsis. We get our English word catharsis. Cleansing. Thoroughly cleanse yourself. And in my translation it says from these things. Literally it's cleanse yourself from these. What is Paul referring to? Well, if you were here last week, Buck Anderson talked about these things. That is 
false teachers and their false teaching that is distracting the church and pulling the church away from the things that are really most important. Timothy, if you want to be a useful vessel, then you need to cleanse yourself from these things. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Chapter 2, verse 23. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Timothy, there's conversations that get stirred up in the church, and they, they don't profit the church. They pull the church away from its mission. As Buck alluded to last week, there are a lot of these that have floated through the church through the years. Sovereignty and free will. How long are we going to argue over that? Right? What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. God is sovereign and we are responsible. Rather than leading us to argumentation, that should lead us to worship. Our God is absolutely sovereign. He has power over all things. He has the right to rule over all things. He knows all things that will occur. And yet in his sovereignty, he has delegated some limited form of sovereignty to creatures made in his image so that we make choices, real choices with real consequences. How can God exist eternally and do such a thing? That should lead us to worship, not division. But I've seen people fight and argue and divide over it. Uh, at the ETS conference a couple of years ago, that's the Evangelical Theological Society. That's our club. There were a couple of scholars fighting about whether the NIV or the ESV was a better translation. And we go, really, go out and share the gospel, please, right? Sometimes it's theological issues. Sometimes it's just practical life issues that the church tries to make into a moral imperative and they divide over. When uh, Tristan and I were doing college ministry, we did that for about... 10 years working with Aggies, but at the beginning of our ministry, a guy wrote a book about dating. It was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Right? Maybe some of you have heard of that book or read that book. Every student we knew read that book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And some of them said, this is the word of God to us, right? Dating, no more. And they just stopped dating. And then where others said, this is stupid and we're going to date, right? And then they fought about it and they argued about it, right? And they divided over whether you should kiss dating goodbye or not. And what, now, let me, full disclosure, the guy who wrote that book, when he wrote it, he was very young and single, right? And then he got married and he recanted because his wife told him he was wrong, right? So he, so he went back and said, no, 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 that was right, right? So, but I remember as Tristan and I were reading this book, I said, you know, honey, I think we should write our own book on the topic. So rather than I kiss dating goodbye, we should title our book, I kissed, and she said, no, that's a bad idea. So we, I, we didn't write it because she said no. Right? But my point is this. Every generation finds stuff to fight about that pulls the church away from loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving our neighbor as ourself, and making disciples of all nations. And we get onto these conversations and these debates and these discussions that make us ineffective, less useful as individuals and as a church. Paul says, separate yourself from this teaching because it's destructive. He also says, separate yourself from these people who create such division in the church. Look at chapter 3, the end of verse 5. He says, avoid such men as these. The background for this entire section is Numbers chapter 16. Paul actually paraphrases Numbers 16 several times throughout this section. Number 16 is where the sons of Korah rebel against Moses and Aaron. Right? The sons of Korah were also Levites. They were in charge of helping with the worship in Israel. 
But they stirred up people from all different tribes, 250 leading people in the congregation of Israel, and they said, who are you, Moses, and who are you, Aaron, to take authority over us? We're all priests. And they pushed back against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And it is in this context that God said, the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those whom he has appointed and delegated his authority to lead his congregation. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from this wickedness of being unwilling to submit and follow the authority that God has put in place. Right? And so God says to them, step back from these men. Okay, avoid such men as these. Pull back from them. Titus faced the same struggle in the church in Crete. And so Paul wrote to him, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning. That is, a man who creates division, give him a warning. Give him a second warning and then remove him. Remove him. Don't have fellowship with him. We hear that, we go, wow, that's really harsh. That sounds a bit judgmental. I want you to remember, Paul's not talking about people outside the church. He's talking about believers inside the church. He's talking about believers inside the church. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He said to the Corinthian believers, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, for then you would have to go out of the world, right? So I'm not talking about, about disassociating yourself from the world. Don't expect the world to think like you think, to love the things that you love. Expect the world to act like the world, and now go be salt and light in the world, right? Love them. Love them. Now, it's, it's true that for some of us, we come from a background where we have relationships that are destructive with former friends who don't know Jesus, and we need to pull back from those at some level in our lives. But, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about here is destruction inside the church, right? For the church to be, remain unified in its mission in the world, we have to separate from people who are causing division in the world. Acts chapter 20, Buck alluded to last week. Paul wrote to the Ephesian elders, and remember Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus, and he said this to the elders, He said, from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them and to destroy the unity of the church. Paul says, do you want to be useful, Timothy? Well, you got to get away from these people who are destroying the church and their false teachings and their distractions. Pull away. He also says, Timothy, you need to be holy in yourself, right? Separate yourself or cleanse yourself from all defilements. Verse 22, now flee, Timothy, from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The word for lust means uh, an intense longing, an overwhelming passion that distracts you from the things that are most important, an intense passion that wraps itself around your heart and diminishes your love for God. Typically, in the New Testament, These lusts are categorized in three ways. Pleasures, power, and possessions. John wrote in his first epistle, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Paul says, Timothy, you are a young man, and you are susceptible to these things. 
And we don't know specifically what Timothy was struggling with, or maybe all three. He was a young man, and maybe he was still struggling with lust of the flesh. It could have been sensual, it could have been sexual, but lust of the flesh pertains to to really any bodily appetite. Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about men in the church whose God was their appetite, literally whose God is their stomach, their belly. They respond to their physical desires. And men and women, we were made to be physical people. We are physical, and so we are susceptible to temptations in the physical world. Even Jesus was. I want you to keep your place here in 2 Timothy and turn to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to see Christ being tempted in each of these three areas. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, which is one of the greatest understatements in the entire New Testament, right? 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus is really, really hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God. Satan came at him at a very vulnerable point. In an area in which Jesus was very vulnerable at that point in time, he was extremely hungry and he had power to make stones into bread. He had created all things. He could do it, but it was outside of the will of God for him at that moment. So he said, no, I will live by what God has provided. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I, I think the best understanding of this is that Satan took him to the the corner of the Temple Mount, the southwest corner of the Temple Mount, which was the highest point on that temple platform. Right below was the main commercial street that ran north and south. So below Jesus would have been throngs of people. And Satan says, throw yourself into the Jerusalem mosh pit, right? Just dive down into this place because God's not going to let you crash on the ground and die He will send angels and they will swoop down. People will see you falling. They'll see the angels grabbing you up and you will prove that you have power. You will prove that God loves you. You will prove that you're Messiah. And Jesus said, no, I don't have to prove anything. And I don't have to test God to show that he loves me and that I'm his chosen one. It may be that Timothy was tempted in this area. Remember, he's a young man. And from what we read in these two letters to Timothy, there were times when people didn't respect him because he was young. Paul says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, right? Timothy, be an example. Lead by example. Lead as a servant. And Timothy was by his nature timid, right? He was was fearful. He was tempted to cowardice. But apparently there were times when that cowardice would get overwhelmed. He would get so frustrated and he would speak out and he would grab power. And so twice Paul reminds him, Timothy, don't be harsh. Timothy, with gentleness, correct those who are in opposition. Timothy, don't rebuke an older man with harshness and speak to him as as an honored father. Speak to the older women as, as honored mothers, the younger women as sisters or as brothers in Christ. Timothy, you don't have anything to prove. 
but it may be that he was reaching out for power or to prove himself or to gain approval. Or maybe it was possessions that tempted him. And he always lived off of what other people were giving him. And there were times, just like the Apostle Paul, when people didn't give enough. And so he was short on food or he didn't have adequate clothing or his housing was not appropriate and he was cold. He was suffering, he was thirsty, he was hungry. And it may have been that he was tempted to reach out and grab things for himself. Jesus was as well. Verse 8, chapter 4 of Matthew. It says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan said, Look, I have authority. God's allowed me authority over all these kingdoms of the world. And Jesus doesn't dispute that. And Satan goes on to say, you know, you don't really have to go to the cross. You can have the kingdoms now. Just, take, just reach out and take it. If you're really the Messiah, grab hold of the possessions, the kingdoms of the earth and all of their wealth, all of their power, all of their glory. And Jesus says no. Paul says, Timothy, you will be tempted. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Men and women, we will be tempted. Lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Satan wants nothing more than to make us useless for our master. And so he says to Timothy what he says to us, which is just flee, right? Flee, run away. Chapter 2, 2 Timothy, verse 22. Timothy, flee from youthful lusts. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Flee from youthful lusts. He told the same thing to Timothy in chapter 6 of the first letter he wrote. Timothy, flee from these things, you man of God. In that context, he was talking about the love of money. Not money, but the love of money that could reach in and wrap around Timothy's heart. He says, Timothy, flee from these things. He told the Corinthian believers, flee immorality. Flee sins of the body, sins of the flesh. Flee idolatry. Flee anything that you would love instead of or in place of or more than God. Timothy, flee, run away. Greatest example of this biblically is Joseph. Joseph was tempted day after day after day. Potiphar's wife came and said, sleep with me, Joseph, sleep with me. And he was a young man. He was a handsome man. He was a man who had growing authority. Every day, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. No one will know. And Joseph said, no. Your husband, my master, has put me in charge of all of his household. He's withheld nothing from me except you. How could I dishonor him? No. Potiphar's wife got tired of her begging, and so she just grabbed him one day. And what did Joseph do? He he literally, he literally just ran away. He didn't stop. He didn't discuss. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He just ran away. He ran away so fast that she yanked the clothes off of his body, and he just, he, he left. He fled. Men and women, do you want to be useful to the master? Well, flee. Flee immorality. And it may be this morning that you have not been fleeing. And you you hear this, and and it just, it, it creates guilt. Because you haven't been fleeing. Maybe this morning what God's Spirit is calling you to do is just to confess Confession. Confession is actually, it's a really beautiful thing. In Greek, the word means to say the same thing. It means to say the same thing. When the Spirit of God convicts 
and calls us to confess. He points out particular sins in our lives. Right? Satan, we know the difference. The voice of Satan just says, you're bad. Right? You're, just, you're just a bad person, useless, bad. And we get discouraged and defeated, and we don't respond. We retreat. The Spirit of God comes, he points out a very particular sin, and he says, confess, that is, say the same thing. I'm calling that sin. I need you to call that sin. And when we call it sin, God says, forgiven, right? Forgiven, and we're free. We're free. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this. If we confess our sins, that is, we say the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is it that God is faithful and righteous when we confess? Because Jesus already paid for that. So God said, I already promised, already paid for it. So of course, the debt is removed in Jesus. Now, as far as the east is from the west, it is removed. I'm not thinking about it. Go in freedom. Or maybe this morning that you've never actually confessed to God for the first time that you have sin. Right? Sin, is a, sin is a terrible word. It's so archaic. It's, it's so ridiculous, but it's so accurate. <laughs> it means that there's a standard which is the perfection of the very character of God, and we fail to meet it. We fall short time after time after time. Right? That's sin. That's really bad news. The gospel is good news. But the gospel doesn't sound really, really good until we see how really, really bad the bad news is, which is sin. When we acknowledge and confess and say the same thing about our sin, all of a sudden we reach out and realize, oh, the gospel is wonderful news because it removes all of that debt of sin forever. Past sins as well as future sins so that we can be right with God. And once you believe for that very first time, you are reconciled completely with your heavenly father. You're his child forever. Will you sin in the future? Yes, you will. You will. But you can continue coming back to God and saying, I confess. I say the same thing and you will be forgiven. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's that's power. And it may be that, that, that you don't have this eagerness to be useful to the Lord right now because there's a barrier between you and the Lord that just needs to be cleansed. And the Spirit may be speaking this morning that you just need to be cleansed. You want to be useful? Cleanse the vessel. Second, fill the vessel. Read with me again verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What he's talking about there is holiness. Jerry Bridges defines holiness like this. He said, holiness is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. That is, Holiness is not just a negative thing. It it is negative. It's separation from sin, but it's consecration to God. That's the negative, and this is the positive. And I think so often we view holiness entirely in negative terms, right? It's don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. If you think it's fun, don't do it, right? If you enjoy it, stop. That's holiness, right? It's all about negative. It's the separation. But holiness is actually being for God, right? Holiness is, it's wholeness, Holiness is what God has called us to because he is perfectly holy and he is a father. We are his children and it is in our our best interest, our greatest joy to be like him. So we pursue holiness. We separate from, but we also are separated for usefulness to God. That is holiness. So read again. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue Righteousness, faith, 
love and peace with those who call upon God from a pure heart. It's not enough that the vessel just be cleaned out. What is the vessel for? It's for carrying something, right? So it's not just enough to have it be cleaned out. It's got to be cleaned out and then it's got to be filled, right? And filled with those things that that are good and righteous and true and wholesome and give us Life. Remember the parable that Jesus told where he, he said that this man is like a house and uh, the house is all cleaned out, right? A, a demon is, is cast out. But that demon is floating around and he can't find a place to live. So he comes back to that house and when he comes back, he finds that the house is all clean, but it's completely unoccupied. And so he brings back seven of his demon buddies and they occupy the house and the last state of the man is worse than the first, right? Jesus is saying this, it's not enough just to be cleaned out, but to be filled. And so he says, not just flee from immorality, but he says, then pursue, right? Chase after, long for, long for it. This is what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, blessed are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, because they will be satisfied. Or what David meant in Psalm 42, where he said, as the deer just pants for and longs after water from the brook, so my soul longs for the living God. My soul thirsts for you, God. When will I come and appear before you, God? I need to be with you, God. Men and women, we we were made to thirst and to hunger, physically and spiritually. We were designed for this. That is natural and that is normal. The issue for us is where will we get those hungers and those thirsts satisfied? Will we get them satisfied in ways that, in a sense, really destroy us? Or will we take this water of life from Jesus day in and day out so that we're never really thirsty for anything else? That's what we're being called to. And it may be that in your life right now that, that you don't hunger and thirst for more so that you need to be cleansed. You need to have that moment of cleansing. Or maybe that you just need to ask God, God, stir it up again within me. It's natural. That's the grace of God in your life. You do long for righteousness. You really do. You really do long for holiness because it's what you were made for. You really do long to be useful to the master because that is God's grace in your life. So Paul says, don't just empty the vessel, but fill the vessel. First Timothy chapter Six, Paul's first letter, he said, Timothy, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue, same word, chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Third, get busy. Be useful. Rescue the broken vessels that are around you. Verse 23, Timothy, refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they only produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. A few years ago, our family's favorite movie was the movie Up. Uh, if you have not seen it, go rent it. Really fun movie. My favorite character in Up was uh, Doug the dog, Doug the talking dog. Because uh, Doug is just so happy and he's so loyal and friendly, right? He meets a new person. He says, I have just met you and I love you. Right? I mean, just love that attitude in life. Right? But Doug the dog is also easily distracted, right? If you've seen the movie, Squirrel comes by, he goes, Squirrel. Right? That's what's happening in this picture here. He's just Squirrel, right? And he's, he's pulled off track. Very easily distracted. 
Uh, we watched this movie, and afterwards, that kind of became a phrase in our house, right? When one of us would jump tracks or get distracted, we'd go, squirrel, yes. I mean, we're just losing focus. Believers in Jesus Christ, that happens to all of us. That happens to every single one of us. And we need one another to get back on track. We all get distracted. And we're less than useful. In fact, as Paul's writing to Timothy, when we're not useful to God, we don't even have to be enormously immoral to be a tool of Satan. We're not doing what God has called us to do. That's what's happening to believers in the church. Remember what happened to to Peter. Matthew chapter 16, Matthew records a really important event in Jesus' ministry to the disciples. He says, says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter jumps up and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You're the one that God promised to take away the sins of the world and to establish kingdom. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, nailed it. Peter, awesome. You nailed it, right? I am Messiah. I am the king. You, you got it. You're Peter. You're a rock. And on this rock, your understanding of, of who I am I'm going to build my entire kingdom and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Peter's like, yes, yes. And he said, but I got to tell you something. Before all that happens, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected. They are going to to persecute me. I will suffer physically and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, (laughs) oh no, no, Uh uh-uh, no, Lord, no. It's not going to happen. Jesus turns to him again and he says, not you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. He says, get behind me, Satan. Right? Satan's not his name. Satan's what he's doing. Right? The word name Satan means adversary. Saying, he says, Peter, you're setting yourself on man's interests, your own interests. Right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. Timothy, you've got, or Peter, you've got this vision of what my kingdom is supposed to look like. And it's, it's about you and what you're going to get. And you're becoming a hindrance. You're becoming a barrier. Paul is dealing with the same thing with Timothy in the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, Timothy, reach out to these people. Right? How? He says, in a spirit of gentleness. Don't, don't look at them primarily as your personal enemies. But look at them as, as friends and family who are being held captive in the snare of the devil. And their lives are being useful, so reach out to them. Help them. Galatians chapter 6, Paul wrote Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself as well so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Church, I think we've lost this uh, gift to one another, right? We, we're, we're unwilling or afraid to, to challenge, to confront. Right? We, all, we all get off track. We all lose sight of what's most important in life. We're not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're not making disciples as first and foremost calling in our life. We're getting pulled aside. Sometimes there are things that can appear really fine and good to the world. Sometimes there are things that are just immoral to everyone, but we're getting distracted. In church, we don't challenge each other. We need one another to speak speak into our, 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 our lives with one another. We need friends that are that good that they're willing to put the relationship at risk to speak truth. Or we speak truth, but we don't speak truth in love, right? We don't speak it with a spirit of gentleness and kindness, 
with a goal of restoration, but rather with a goal of punishment and judgment. Church, we need to recover that because we need one another, right? Do you want to be useful? Yes, of course. God stirs something up in all of our hearts that we want to know him and make him known. We want to be useful. Do you want others to be useful? Well, let's step in, help one another. And how do we apply this? Oh, uh, as we move into application, if I can ask the men uh, to go to the back and get communion ready for us uh, as we close. And let me give you just a few thoughts of application. It may be this morning that God is calling you to step up and to rescue a friend or a family member who's, who's gotten off track. And, and as Paul wrote to the Galatian believers, well, you know, first pray. Make sure that you are right and there's nothing, no barrier, that you've confessed sin for the Lord. And in humility, not superiority, but humility and gentleness, challenge your friend. It may be that God is calling you to, to get filled, right? You have become uh, isolated from other believers. You need to get connected. You need to allow God's spirit to stir up that longing for things that really, really are good in your life. Students, I challenge you, if you were here at the beginning of the semester, I challenge you, so don't, don't drift through the semester and stay disconnected from the body of Christ. You need fellowship. You need people who will speak into your life. You need to speak into others' lives. Well, that applies to all of you who are out of college or maybe you're in grad school or you're a young professional. Maybe you're, you're a family and you've got kids and they're going 300 different directions but you've lost focus for your family on the things that are really most important and you need to get refocused. Or maybe this morning God is just saying it's time to come clean. Or the reason you're, you're carrying this burden of guilt is you, you just haven't stopped before a gracious heavenly father and said, I confess, I give in. So let's take a few moments, if you will, as the men will come forward and serve us. Ask God's Spirit to speak to you, uh, whatever word it is he has for you this morning. Uh, And then Chip will come forward and he will uh, lead us in taking the elements together.